This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lee Green, and this is episode 189. Today, I sat down with Fiona Chan, the founder and CEO of Euthphoria. Euthphoria is a beauty brand that creates innovative makeup that acts as an extension of your skincare routine. All of their products are high performance and safe to sleep in using bio-based ingredients and green chemistry principles to be better for you and the planet. Fiona talks with me about how she's been wanting to be an entrepreneur since she was four years old, how the COVID lockdown inspired her to create Euphoria, and how she's grown as a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Fiona. I'm so excited to have you on the show today to hear your story in building Euphoria. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So you're in Miami right now. I'm in Los Angeles. Where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? I'm originally from San Francisco. So lived there the majority of my life, went out east for college, and then after college, went back to San Francisco. All right. So let's start in the early days as a kid. What kind of kid were you growing up? What was it like with any siblings that you may have had and your parents? Can you kind of paint the picture for us of your childhood? Yeah. So my parents are immigrants. They actually left Vietnam to come here. So refugees. And I have one older brother. And so growing up, it was kind of interesting in the early years, I I would say like my parents were still kind of getting used to America and it was still kind of like a learning curve for them. But they've always kind of just encouraged me to like enjoy the things that I enjoyed. I feel like I grew up watching a lot of cartoons and just, I don't know, played around a lot, played a lot with my brother who was a couple of years older than me. So it it was just really fun. What kind of things were you into? Like, did you play sports? Did you like arts? Did you, what kind of things did you like? Oh my God. I feel like I loved Barbie. I loved toys. (laughs) I loved Nickelodeon. I loved like Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, like pop music and that whole dynamic. I loved like TRL and I just loved TV so much as a kid. Interesting. So you think you watched a lot of uh, TV as a kid growing up? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) It's a good babysitter, you know? <laughs> it, was just, it was just fun. And so what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were little, what was your dream? Yeah, ever since I was little, I, I want to say like ever since I was like four, I knew I wanted to be like a business person, like a business owner. I remember like my four-year-old self, like that version of like an entrepreneur would be like, oh, just like a business person. So I always kind of imagined myself doing that. And it was always like on these long car rides, I would have with my parents, like I would see billboards and I would just think to myself, I would love if one day, you know, I had a company and it was like on a billboard. What did you know about entrepreneurship or what examples did you have in your life that kind of made you even know that being a business owner was an option? 
So my grandparents were were business owners, both in Vietnam. And, and when they came to America, they had like a jewelry store. And they, I don't know, it was just something that I always saw. I remember going to their store when I was younger. And so it was like a concept that I kind of understood, not like I really knew what it meant, but I just knew that like this was something I really wanted. Yeah, it always comes from somewhere. So I'm always curious because I don't think I knew what a business owner was at like four years old. <laughs> you know, even though my dad had his own business. It was like he kind of was his kind of more like a contractor. He was like he's a photographer. So he didn't have very much other than himself doing everything. Right. So anyway, so you so you kind of saw through the eyes of your grandparents what it was like to own a business. It was a jewelry store. And then what about your parents? What did they do? Yeah, they're like accountants. So kind of more like office day jobs. For me, I always wanted to do something a little bit more creative. Always thought that there was this just this like artistic streak within myself. I remember like younger version of me always like thought that maybe I'd go into something like more artistic starting out, but it, it didn't happen for me. Interesting. All right. And so you wanted to be a business owner when you were younger. And did that, I guess that just never changed, it seems like. No, it was always like something that, I don't know, I feel like when I was younger, I always kind of like imagined myself in my 30s. And I think like when you're like a little kid, you're like, what am I going to be like when I'm I'm my mom's age? And I was like, okay, when I'm like kind of like her age, I like, you know, want to be married. I want to have my own business. And I'm sure like watching TV and, and watching movies like that kind of influenced it. But it was something I like just always wanted for myself. And looking back, what kind of things did you do that were entrepreneurial as a kid or kind of displayed leadership? I don't know. I don't know that there there are really any examples that I did. I think I was just always just passively playing. I think I really enjoyed not having responsibilities. And it wasn't like something where I felt like you could definitely say, okay, I looked, you know, I saw her at six or 10 or 12. And like, she had these real leadership qualities. I was very, always pretty passive. Interesting. And so, but did you have any like things that you did that were like creative problem solving skills early on or things that you like, did you enjoy solving problems creatively as a kid when you look back like did you do anything unique or interesting or kind of outside the box I don't think so but I do remember there was this one time when I was really really young and I remember like my parents were arguing in the car because they just got lost and like they didn't know how to you know the signs of the streets of like this new city that they were driving to and it was like a new city and i remember thinking oh my god this is like causing me so much stress and wouldn't it be nice if it like if in the car you could just see like a map and like it would just guide you to where you were this is years before gps was sold and stored and i remember seeing a gps in a store you know many years later and thinking oh i remember this idea like maybe this is there's a way for me to kind of think through problems and like it can be something. So that always kind of gave me encouragement in terms of like, maybe my ideas aren't that bad. Right. Well, you kind of came up with a solution almost, right? Like you're like, hmm, this could help solve this problem. <laughs> yeah. Hearing my parents argue, they like are so bad with driving directions yeah. and maps are confusing or they don't have like the maps to like whatever suburb that they're driving through. They should just be part of the car. And then seeing it in real life, I was like, I felt like it just really validated like, hey, maybe my my ideas aren't aren't so bad. Nice. And so you went to college. Where did you go to college? I went to Dartmouth College. Nice. And you studied? I studied econ, also minored in religion. And I remember when I was at Dartmouth, and Dartmouth was at the time, it was my freshman year, they did not have cell phone towers. And the iPhone 3 had already come out or something like that. And I remember thinking this is like a really, it was a really fun way to do your first semester of college because 
like you would just run into people so serendipitously because you couldn't really plan things because a lot of us, we, we left, used to leave our cell phones at home because it just wouldn't really work. And so it was always like really fun to go out that way. And then by, I think by sophomore year, they had cell phone towers. It was, it was a slightly different dyna- dynamic for us. Oh, sounds like it was more fun without the phones. <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was equally fun both ways. Yeah. And so what were some of your first couple jobs, whether it was in high school or college? What were some of your first jobs? Yeah, in high school, I used to design, I used to design flyers, like I used to do graphic design for like clubs, restaurants, that sort of thing, like local businesses. And then in college, I remember working just like in a library at a lab, just easy part-time job. And then out of out of college, like my internships were, I interned for like a startup accelerator in New York. And then I always knew I kind of wanted to go to like the startup tech scene, something just that, something that felt like entrepreneurial. So after college, I went back to San Francisco where like the scene kind of was, didn't have a job. So definitely spent a couple of months looking, trying to figure what was going to work. Ended up working at a really large company called EMC doesn't exist anymore and was just working on like partnerships there. And then I went to a tech startup after that. And the best way I described that job was like, I sold extremely complex software to data centers and it was like super like fast paced, high growth tech environment, something very, very different from what I do now. Interesting. So you're saying you interned for an accelerator in New York. That was kind of your first foray into real entrepreneurship. Is that accurate? Yeah, it gave me like a taste of like just seeing very early stage, like what entrepreneurs see and go through. And it is so different, like when you're actually in it versus like right. being in the proximity of it. But I knew that it was kind of in the direction that I wanted to to head. So it's interesting because I actually worked at an accelerator too before becoming a founder. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, these are my people. Like I'm just yeah. like them. Wow. Oh my gosh. Like I felt like I found my tribe in a way. Like it just felt like I could identify so much with them and all the things that they were doing on a day-to-day basis. I was like, that's what I love doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like the the amount of like problem solving and thinking and creative thinking that you have to do. And I think I, I, I relate to that. Like being in a super corporate job, my first job out of college, I was like, this is not for me. Like I need to go to somewhere like much, much earlier stage, something a lot more fast paced. And then it's of course, different working at a startup versus being a founder. Right, right. So you, your first real startup experience was selling software, complex software, right? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of your, you were in the startup, but as an employee. And so were you working with the founder very closely? And kind of what was the dynamic there that made you maybe continue to want to be a founder? No, at that stage, because it was a tech startup, those companies always need so many engineers to like build the thing that they're they're trying to build. But it was it was pretty large by then. It was maybe about like a hundred people when I joined. But we were probably like the first hires on like the business side of of things. It was like all engineers. So really, like really, really different. And even like when I joined, it was like maybe they had one or two customers. It was very, very early. And I remember that was just a very fast ride. And so many things were like going on. And what I liked about that was back then a lot of people were still going into office in San Francisco. And it was like big office, but you got to see so much of like the discussions that were happening. Like I remember being part of like pricing discussions, product discussions, product marketing discussions. And it was just that exposure where you saw so much of what happened cross-functionally. That was really interesting for for me. So what was your perspective on that when you were in those rooms where you're like, was your reaction, wow, people really don't know what they're doing? Or were you, wow, they really do know what they're doing? Like, what was your reaction to the people in the room? 
it was a lot more of like, oh, this is how like decisions get made and like just seeing what causes, what's the impetus for like, hey, we need to have a pricing discussion. We need to think about like the long-term impacts of that or like, hey, we need to talk about our product roadmap and seeing how everything kind of worked together was really interesting. Of course, like, again, it's very different being a founder versus like just being an employee. But I really liked that. I just got that exposure. Like you learn so much through osmosis. So I was really glad like early job out of college, I got, you know, the opportunity to just you know, to sit in a room with a ton of VPs that are trying to make decisions. And then it was just, I felt like a great way for me to get mentored and learn a lot. I mean, even though I went to a completely different industry, it was really interesting. Yeah. And so what happened after there? How long were you at this software company? And then where did you go from there? I think I was there for maybe like two and a half years. And then after that, through the software company, I got the opportunity to do a lot of the business development in Asia. And I used that opportunity to go there, travel there, learn a whole new region. It was amazing. And I met my husband through one of these trips. And so I remember there was a period of my time where I was just between San Francisco and Asia, exactly six months here, six months there, and just traveling every couple couple of weeks. And when I could have made the decision that you know we would get engaged and move forward with our, our lives, I was like, I think I need to just stop working in tech and you know, stop working in the US and like, just take some time off and, you know, choose love over over career. So there was a period of time where I, would, I didn't work to know what I was going to do. But I was like, I think this is the right move, right move for me. Where did you guys live? We were in Hong Kong. Oh, cool. So you're like, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to just figure out what I want to do next with the next chapter of my life and hang out in Hong Kong with my new husband. And what did you do after that? How long did you kind of hang out there? And what did you guys do next? So I was kind of still in between San Francisco and Hong Kong. And there was like maybe like a year where I was like, I think my next move might be starting a business, but I don't know what's in what. I don't know what exactly what I want to do. I'm really just kind of wandering, really kind of had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted to do. And then on one of these trips, I was visiting my husband, thought it was going to be a two month trip to Hong Kong. COVID hits and I end up getting stuck in Hong Kong. It was just very, very obvious, like do not jump back on a plane. And I remember almost instantly, I was like, you know what, I think I want to start a makeup company. And it was something about the pandemic where it really made me think about like, what do I actually want to do? And it goes back to like, I remember being in college thinking, I just want to go to makeup school. I don't know why, but there's something that's like calling me to to do this. So I ended up spending all of 2020 in, in Hong Kong and basically just started Euphoria from there. And so what was it that you felt was missing? Like why beauty? Why did you want to build a company in that space? Yeah. So some of the trips that I was taking while I was still working in the software company, it was like to super polluted cities in Asia. Like I'm talking about, I would sleep in N95s like years before COVID had even started. And like, I'd be indoors, like I needed like a mask and it was really affecting my skin. And I was like, okay, in, in these environments where you can't control your air, you can't control your water, can't really control your food source. The only thing I really felt in control of was like the products I put on my face, but it still doesn't really work in these environments. And then when COVID happened, I just kind of realized like makeup is so much about like putting it on because you're going to go out and see people because I did not wear makeup, you know, that first week of COVID. And I was like, this feels a little bit weird. I feel really disconnected from people. And I'm just like, I always fall asleep in my makeup if I'm out with friends. And it just makes so much sense to me that we would have makeup that acted like skincare was good for your skin. You could sleep in it. And I never really understood why we couldn't sleep in, make, in makeup. I've always done it, definitely like did it a lot in college, did it a lot in my early 20s as well, just traveling so much. And I always felt guilty wearing makeup. Like I felt like I was 
doing something bad by my skin. And I was like, it just makes sense if you're going to put something on your face for 16 hours, like that it would just make your skin better. So during that time, I remember trying all these samples for our products and not knowing that I was going to make makeup you could sleep in, but just being like, I should just sleep in this because that this is how I wear makeup and it has to work for my habits. And remember like the first morning afterwards, I was like, why does my skin look so nice? Like I just couldn't believe it. I made my husband also sleep in our makeup samples. So I was like, I need to like see this on someone else. And it, it really like made his skin look really nice the next morning afterwards. And I was like, okay, this is how we're going to test all of our products now because I need to know that like it's actually acting like skincare as well as like providing like really nice colors and that sort of thing. That's interesting. So you wanted something that looks like makeup, but acts like skincare. Yeah. Like I wanted both, like really, yeah. truly something that could be both and couldn't find it. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I mean, I religiously wash my face every night, you know, just to make sure the makeup is off and I don't even wear a lot of makeup, but it's just that feeling of, oh, I got to get that stuff off, <laughs> you know, yeah. then I, I want to have a clean face and put the skincare on and feel like I did something good. You're right. There, it feels kind of negative to have makeup on, even if it makes you feel good temporarily for going out or seeing people being social, whatever it might be. So what were what were your first kind of steps? What launch products did you decide to launch with and why? And how did you make it all happen? Yeah, so there were several, several products that we launched with. We launched with our BYO blush. It's the world's first color changing blush oil. That one, definitely one of our best sellers. And I just remember for that blush, I was like, how do you make a universally flattering blush? I kept thinking about it. And one day it just kind of hit me, like if we made it color changing, this might work. And I like, maybe we can make it like an oil. It would have a very different effect on your skin. It'll look like very glowy compared to, you know, how other blushes looked. I tried to try the samples and it took, it just took several tries before we, we, we kind of nailed it. And then we also launched five lip glosses. So those are all like just really fun colors. I did a ton of custom packaging. So basically all of our products, they kind of stack on top of each other, kind of like Legos. It's all magnetic, very like complex custom stuff. And at the time I wasn't like a designer or anything. So what I did was I drew all my ideas on a piece of paper and it was COVID. So I couldn't go out to the stores to buy, to buy like paper rollers. And what I did was I was, I was drawing this on like a, a toy ruler that like kids get from, I don't know, like treats and stuff. And I was just like sending it to like factories and their designers. So I'm like, does this make sense to you? Can you like make a prototype off of like what's essentially like chicken scratch? Yeah. What did they say? Did they laugh or they were like, yeah, we'll try? Yeah, they could do it. I mean, it works for them. Like they can understand what I'm trying to portray and it's not like in the fanciest way. Like it, it just works. That's awesome. So your lip glosses stack mm -hmm. like Legos, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. And that is pretty unique. And so, and obviously the blush oil is unique as well. So you launched with the blush oil and how many, five, you said five, lip gloss? Yeah, five lip Why five? I don't know. It was just kind of what happened. It was just like the colors that I nailed down. Interesting. Were you thinking that that's enough colors to kind of provide enough options for the spectrum of skin tones and stuff like that that exist? Or were you kind of like, these are my favorite colors? Or how did you, you know, think about that? Yeah. So most of our colors are pretty neutral. So it can kind of flex both ways. I actually go more by undertone when I think about colors, especially when it's something like lips or cheeks. It's usually like how I like to think about it. I think sometimes it can be so overly complex with too many colors, too many options. So I try to make it as simple as possible. So I'll think about like, how does this look like 
if you have like the skin tone under it and there's maybe like a little sheer element, is it still going to provide a nice color? And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about, but Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Mm, so you tried to make them like a fit all. They can Anybody can wear any of the shades. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And so how did you prepare for launch? And did you raise any money? How did you kind of get things off the ground? No, this was still self-funded because at the time I was like, there's no way anyone's going to fund this business. I'm making a green color changing blush. That's a crazy idea. I'm making makeup you can sleep in. Also another crazy idea. I have no experience in this industry. Like if you really like look at it from like a, I don't know, if I were an investor, I would be like, this is too crazy. Like it's too risky. But at the time I was living in Hong Kong and I was like, okay, I got to move back to the US because I want to be on TikTok and I just got to go back to the US and just launch it there. So packed and moved and launched a business all within a week, which was like a really, I do not recommend this at all. It is very stressful. I remember like sleeping on an air mattress and just trying to get the website up and then realizing I have no marketing plan. What did I do? I just spent all this money, my like all my life savings. And I was like, I think that was like one of the worst, worst feelings. You're basically... You're like, I created a website that looks great. I spent all this money, but now I don't have any for marketing. Is that what you kind of realized? Yeah. I also like was not a marketer. So I had no thought. I think, you know, when you're kind of getting ready, you're like, okay, if I just open it, they will come. Like that was not the case at all for us. I didn't have any email set up and have, you know, our account set up. I just remember, you know, we had like maybe a thousand followers or like all of all my friends from Instagram had no TikTok. And I started posting on TikTok maybe within like two weeks or something. And that started really resonating. And what I did was I was like posting, this is our blush versus a powder blush versus like a liquid blush, so like a different type of blush format, a concept that was easy for people to understand. And it was like, I think like the product was just so different that people were like, what is this? Like there was just a lot of questions, which is great for engagement. Half of them were positive. Half of it was like, this is so stupid. And like, what are you doing? Like that type of thing. But I just knew that it was a really nice blush. Like I knew that it looked really nice on skin on like a wide variety of people. So I thought, you know, even if I just get through like all these doubters and stuff, like maybe people can see the products and, and see it on their skin and actually like really enjoy it. But I would say like the first year it was like pretty tough. Yeah, it's always a tough, right? Because there's always people that are like, what are you doing with your life? Or, you know, the people that try the product, they're like, eh, you know, really, I just poured my savings and my I was believed in it, yeah. and, into this and you don't think it's special, you know, it's heartbreaking sometimes, but I'm sure a lot of the testimonials or the customers that love the products probably make up for a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I remember like just the early days, it was like, I remember like some of the reviews we were reading, it was like, 
this is not a color that I would normally pick for myself, but like my husband or, you know, whoever like lives with me says, that's your perfect color when you're embarrassed or you're flushed. And like, it looks so good. I'm getting so many compliments. And I was like, okay, we're doing something right. And I remember people being like, oh my God, like this is just like such a pretty shade of blush. So that was always really nice to see as well. Nice. And so what happened after that? So you realized, oh, I need to do some marketing. You start posting on TikTok. How did things start to grow and kind of take off from there? I mean, we sent to some influencers that also like contributed to just the awareness of the brand, but it's not like, you know, things just skyrocketed. I think it was always kind of very, very tough. Maybe for the first year and a half, we were always like afraid of running out of money. I remember just being so fearful of that because it was a it was a real threat to us for, you know, like a year and a half where every day I was like, okay, we do either I have to put more in money in or like we're going to run out of money in, in a week. And that was what was stressful. Yikes. Yeah. Having a one week runway is not good. So what did you do creatively to kind of solve for that uh, if you weren't taking investor money? I mean, you know, like some days, you you know, you would make up for it. And then it was really for us, it was buying inventory because like there was some demand and it was kind of growing, but making sure that like it could sustain itself, which didn't always feel like, I mean, it worked, but it didn't always feel like that, that nice to deal with every single, every single day. And then maybe a little bit after that, like the Ulta partnership came in and like, I knew that it was something that we were working towards. Once that happened, it was also another round of like, man, we're going to run out of money. And like, I need right. to How do you even afford that? Right. With the PO, what did you do? We did some PO financing. We were like, you know, trying to figure out, like, do we put our own money, more of our own money in? Like I had already pretty much started running out of my own money because it's, you know, you don't pay yourself for, for so long. And I was like, I don't know if this is an option. I decided to raise and, and then I went on Shark Tank at the same time. Shark Tank, right. And how was Shark Tank? Shark Tank was a super fun experience. I remember thinking, I remember going into it thinking like, this is just like a cool experience. Like just being there on set, I get to like dress up in like a really fun way that is representative of the brand. I get to do a set design. I get a pitch. I, I put like makeup on as part of my pitch. And I'm like, this is just cool. If nothing comes out of it, it was a cool experience. I want to just be in the moment. I want to like not feel nervous. I want to just kind of take it in. But it was it was it was a great like one of my favorite experiences growing the brand. I've heard from a few founders that as you walk down like into the room to start recording, that is actually quite nerve wracking because you're like, it's happening. <laughs> you know, like, here we go. Did you feel that way? Yeah, it's really surreal. Like, because you see like what the set looks like on TV, but actually being there and like seeing the size perspective, that was really surprising for me. Like the set is the room is a lot bigger than what it looks like on TV and the hallways a lot shorter than what it looks like on TV. So that was like something that was really different. And then I actually thought all the sharks, they looked really like they just really glowed. I don't know if it was like they had really good lighting or I just was like, oh, they look just really, I don't know. They look like they just really glow. <laughs> Maybe they're nice today. <laughs> they're, they're super nice. They're super nice. You can just tell by their body language, like even when, you know, they're giving you feedback there, it's not like malicious. It's like, you can tell that they're really engaged, really, really nice. That's awesome. And so you got money from Mark Cuban, right? Mm -hmm. How else did the others react? I think they were just, you know, it was just fun to watch. I think the sharks, like the way that I perceived it at least was like, they really love and support entrepreneurship and they really like enjoy what they're doing. So like, I think they were actually happy to see deals go through. I like, I think even the feedback they give, it's always trying to be super helpful. So it's a, I mean, it's a fun experience all around. Nice. 
So what happened from that? Did you guys sell out? You know, what was uh, the results, I guess, from being on the show? Yeah, when we aired, it was earlier this year, definitely had an influx of new customers on the website. I have never seen anything like that before. And it was like really exciting to see. I was just so nervous also watching like watching it back. I remember we sold out on Amazon and I think we we didn't sell out at Ulta, but we sold we sold through a library inventory at Ulta. Yeah, that's great. And so how has it been since then? Obviously, that was earlier this year, I guess. So like Q1 2023, I imagine. And then what has happened, I guess, through the summer and now with fall, how's the business been going since then? Have yeah, you so raised we just money? launched a foundation that you can sleep in, which was something that I was always nervous about whether or not we would ever survive long enough to launch a foundation line. I've been actually working on it since I started the business. Just hopeful that, you know, it's something that I could do. I think when I had the idea to create makeup you can sleep in, like my first idea was just create a nice foundation. So I started working on that, started growing the team, started to, you know, try and figure things out. I think this year was still, I say this about every year, but it was still very challenging There's because there was just so many new things I had to learn. Like what? Like, I don't know, just like when you add more SKUs to the business, when you have like retail partnerships, plus Amazon, plus C2C, there's just a lot of things like I just didn't know. And so it's always just like a learning for me. What are some of the things? Because I know there's a lot of people in the same seat. Everybody's learning as we go to figure it out. So what are some things that stand out that you had to learn? Yeah, like when you switch from like a purely D2C business to having a few sales channels, like you don't get like data the exact same way as you would get through Shopify. So like trying to figure out how to digest all the data in a way that's like easy to read. That was a little bit challenging trying to triangulate with missing pieces of data. Like like that's something we have to do pretty much every single day. There's a lot more decision-making that happens really quickly. Yeah. That, I think those are the big ones. And so how big is your team now? I know that you were, I guess you were working on this by yourself for quite a while, right? And so how, when did you start taking on people and how big is your team now? I started hiring a little bit more aggressively once I found out that we would be in Ulta because there, there are certain things about once you have a retail partner, like there's just more complexity, especially on the operation side. And then now we're, I think a little bit over 10. And people were nice. And you've raised capital since then. I know Willow Growth has invested. Deb is awesome. How much have you guys raised so far and how has fundraising been for you? Yeah. So I raised a couple million, not a lot. And this was all before before Shark Tank aired, before we were officially in Ulta. And raising is, I don't know. I don't know that if I like it that much because it's it's just, it's just a, a lot of work. But it was something we did last year. It wasn't too bad. Like love all the messages on our cap table, but it's not my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Why not? It's super time consuming. So it takes away from, you know, everything that you can do to run the business. And then there's just like a lot of legal things that you have to read. Like, I don't know. I, I did not like start this business to be in like legal docs and spreadsheets all day, but it is like a big part of, of fundraising. Definitely. Well, especially as the role of CEO, right? That's a big part of the job, reviewing contracts, <laughs> spreadsheets. Those are not really fun, creative things that I think most founders set out to do when they have an idea for a business. Um, and yeah, they be it's, but it's such a big like, big part of the job. Yep. I think it increases as the company gets bigger and bigger too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So what's in store for the business soon? What's coming soon? What can we expect 
Yeah, so working on additional products, this is also for next year. So I'm always in a state of product development. I would say that product development is probably like my number one passion for what I get to do. And every time I get the opportunity to like create new products and especially when things are getting through kind of like the testing process and things look like they will launch. Like I have a massive, massive product development graveyard, but the things that kind of make it through, I get super excited and there's always blood, sweat and tears. There's always something that goes wrong in the process. And so anything that makes it, I'm just like relieved. So definitely have a lot of products that I'm working on right now for next year and and the year after. That's great. And what are some of the things that you've learned about being a leader and managing people on your team? I think just being really transparent. I always like to tell people exactly like what to expect from me. Sometimes my schedule changes a lot depending on what I think we know where where I think I need to add more attention to the business. I just tell them, hey, I'm gonna come into your department a little bit more than usual. And I kind of go in and out of departments. So I tell people like, do not get whiplash. I try to be very transparent about my communication style, my working style. I know everyone's a little bit different. So it's something where I just start, I just try to tell people up front. How do you describe your working style? This might be like a thing that's unique to me, but I always like knowing potential problems that can arise. And I like being alerted to that early. I think sometimes when I was younger, I always had bosses where I was always scared to tell them, hey, this is something that could potentially go wrong. For me, I like to really prefer knowing it way, way earlier because it tells me at least like how I should allocate my time. Maybe I need, might need to carve out some time to, to do some problem solving. So I always appreciate it. Interesting. That's cool. And what about, you said you said your management style is more of transparency because you want people to feel like you're giving them a heads up when you're saying, hey, I'm going to spend more time in this department and then I'm going to go over here and spend more time in that department. And so they're kind of had a, a heads up, I guess. How's that been working? Yeah, I think it's I think it's helpful. I think when you're transparent about your goals or like kind of what you're thinking, especially when it's something where it's like, I don't know the answer to this. So I'm, I think this is my hypothesis to number one, that this is maybe a route that we're going to explore. Once more information comes, maybe I go down to route number two. People at least understand where my head's at. And I think that's really important because, you know, not everyone gets preview to like everything that's going on, but at least they'll, they'll get more idea of how I'm thinking about something in a moment. So what are some mistakes you've made or lessons that you've learned through this kind of leadership journey and building the business? I think maybe in the early days, I was very insecure about how I felt as a leader. It's something that I've definitely kind of grown into. I think, I don't just feeling more comfortable with it, finding people whose working style really aligns with mine has been really helpful. But I remember like even like the earliest days of like interviewing or like hiring a bigger team, I was like, how do I do this? Like the imposter syndrome of that was pretty, pretty tough back then. But you know, once you do it a couple of times, you kind of get used to it. And so how did you kind of move past feeling those insecurities to feeling more confident and more comfortable now? I think it's just really, I love sitting down and kind of defining what I expect in a role and like how I, you know, what's the best outcomes for the roles, like doing that really makes it really easier, a lot easier in, in terms of like the hiring process. And then just, I always, now it's just part of like when I onboard people, just tell them, this is what you can expect from my personality and my working style, just so that there's no, there's no confusion there. Was there confusion before with like previous hires where they, you've like kind of learned that through those experiences? I think, you know, I didn't think so much about onboarding and what that like what a successful onboarding process looked like. At the time, it was just like so much go, go, go. And like, 
things were always kind of felt like they were on fire, at least for me for a little bit. But now I, I do kind of prioritize it and, and make sure that it's something that I think about, something that we improve as, as the company grows. Yeah. Onboarding processes are something you probably a lot of founders don't think about really early. You're like, why do we need that? We just need to start working now. Exactly. You know? exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, people need to actually dip their toe in, then their foot, then they jump in, you know? And then also with offboarding, I think is also very similar. You know, there's this whole theory of like fire fast and thinking that, that dropping someone the next day is like the best idea or just like at that time, okay, you're done. Bye. Like that's also not great. <laughs> so having processes on both sides, I think is super important. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Do you have any kind of final advice before we wrap up here um, for any entrepreneurs that are tuning in, thinking about taking the leap into entrepreneurship and starting their own business? Yeah. My biggest advice would be to just start. It never feels like there's ever a good time. I think, especially in the early days, you will probably don't know everything that you'll eventually learn. But I think through this process, you just become so resilient. I'm such a different person than I was you know, a couple of years ago. And I'm actually really, really grateful that throughout all of these challenges, it really had me face, you know, my, my greatest fears. And I feel like I came out like a lot stronger through the process. Yeah, it certainly is a learning curve, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much to learn. I think that's what's so fun about being an entrepreneur is it's the ultimate learning experience. Extremely difficult, but I think extremely rewarding as well. I, I think I agree with that. Like it's very, very hard, but it's so fulfilling and it's so great when you're trying to figure out something and something just clicks and you're like, you just feel so good having gone through the process. Yeah. You're like, it's all worth it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, was, that took forever and was really hard. And I, I can't believe it actually worked, but here we are. And amazing. That, that is always a really good feeling of like triumph, I guess. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Fiona, for sharing your awesome story and building Youthphoria. The products are awesome. And thanks so much for sharing them. And um, everybody who's listening, you can check out Youthphoria at youthphoria.com. Is it .co? It's .co. Youthphoria.co. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.